0: My name is Xavier Zah, and I'm the CEO of Federation Square. Sustainable September is coming to Fed Square, with the virtual square set to play host to inspiring events and content throughout the month in support of a positive message about health, community, and the environment. With a mix of live events, fascinating videos, exclusive film screenings, Content for things that can be done at home and insightful podcast conversations, as well as the return of the incredibly popular Little Food Festival. Sustainable September truly has something for everyone, and it is all available virtually. Content and support for the month is provided by the Santa de Mayo Foundation, Sea Shepherd, Monash University, the City of Melbourne, Sustainability Victoria, Oz Harvest, Food Art Week, the Royal Botanical Garden. And many other incredible partners. It's a month that reminds us that while we might not be able to come together right now, we can still do our part to nurture our environment. So today, I'd like to welcome Jeff Hanson. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks, Xavier. It's great to
1: be here. Yeah, I guess I'm the managing director of Sea Shepherd Australia. I've been involved with Sea Shepherd since 2007, and I'm also one of the six global directors.
0: So, Jeff. Perhaps you could share with us the, the history of Sea Shepherd, its origin story, um, and, and the, the, the years uh, leading up to the point at which you saw that black boat in the Docklands and you stepped aboard.
1: Yeah, well, Sea Shepherd was started by Paul Watson in 1977, and Paul was one of the co-founding members of, of Greenpeace, but um, they believed Paul was a bit too too radical for Greenpeace so he got he got kicked out of Greenpeace and started Sea Shepherd and Paul's very you know his his foundations start when he was a young boy where he used to go into the summer and, and see all the beavers making their their various you know constructions and watching them through the summer and then one one year he went back and they'd all gone because the trappers had gone and and got them and, and killed them for their pelts and so then he went through um, after that and disabled all the the traps and, and snare lines and whatnot. Paul believes that there's all the rules, regulations there to protect our oceans. What there is, is a lack of enforcement and often due to a lack of economic or political will. So, you know, he's been out on the, on the front lines and his agenda has always been conservation with the notion that, you know, if you see a woman being attacked or a dog being beaten, you don't stand there and hold a sign, you get in there and physically intervene and, and stop it from happening. Very well known for the work in the foundation years of going out and finding pirate whaling vessels that were operating illegally, sometimes colliding with them and sometimes sinking them at port, ensuring no one was on board. Also a lot of work um, opposing the Canadian seal hunt and then going after illegal fishing operations in the high seas. So the work's been you know, instrumental over the years. But I think in the last sort of 10 years, it's really, we've achieved a huge amount for the oceans. I didn't know a lot about Sea Shepherd until just back in 2006. And I was walking along in the Docklands and I saw this black ship parked there, the Farley Mowat. I said, come on, mum, let's go on board for a tour. And we walked on board and a volunteer took us through. And they showed a video of, you know, effectively Sea Shepherd on the front line, um, getting in there and blocking whales from being killed. You know, I heard the words of Paul Watson and he said, "You know, this is the most important movement. That's the movement to save life, to save the earth, and that means we've got to we've got to stand up and we've got to fight back. Uh, and if there's one thing worth fighting for on this planet." It's life. I just saw that this org was was lean, it was effective, connected by a love of the natural world, but a real deep understanding of its ecological importance. In that, nature doesn't need us, but we need nature, and we need to give our oceans um, the protection that they deserve, or there will be no people on this planet. I think a lot of the solutions that we we put on the table are often band-aids when you look at the root cause, and I just don't get the whole notion that of being an environmentalist or a conservationist. I don't understand that that term because you're a human being that lives on the planet and you want a future for your kids and their kids and you want clean air and clean water and clean food and a livable climate. Surely you want to behave in a responsible manner and be conservative because otherwise you're making the planet worse off for your kids. And I guess that's what really connected me to to Sea Shepherd. It was lean, effective, and people could see tangible outcomes.
0: So, Jeff, what's the breadth of work that Sea Shepherd is undertaking here in Australia? You mentioned the, you know, the thousand volunteers and the, uh, you know, the desk that you work from and the, the the small lean team. But, you know, give us a sense of that breadth.
1: So, I guess the way it works structurally, you've got six global directors and those six global directors have all been on the front line. Um, and they look at what are the key threats to the oceans and what are we doing about it? Um, So the key threats that we see are illegal fishing, which accounts for up to 40% of the world's seafood in some places. Um, Plastic pollution, which is, you know, now right through the food chain, you know, to the point that if you eat seafood, there's a good chance you're eating plastic and the toxic chemicals that the plastics absorb. Then threats to vulnerable endangered species and then climate, which is the big one. Our reefs are dying all over the planet. In some places, oysters can't form their shells because the oceans are becoming so acidic. So we look at you know what campaigns we take on globally um, to have the biggest impacts. So in terms of illegal fishing, in the last sort of four years, it's been a massive um, growth in the work we've done there, where we now have seven government partnerships in Africa, where effectively Sea Shepherd has seen that there's countries there that don't have the means to patrol their entire economic exclusion zone. So they're 200 nautical mile limit. And they've got a big problem with poachers, Um, you know, vessels coming from all over the world and basically sometimes, you know, killing the local artisanal fishermen, fishing in the waters reserved for them or just blatantly fishing illegally with no license to be there. So we provide the ships and the mostly volunteer crew and the fuel. In in essence, our government partners provide the authority to make the arrest because we don't have the authority. Um, That's resulted now in the arrest of over 53 illegal fishing vessels. And we're seeing tangible outcomes, like in Liberia, the fish are returning for the first time in decades, and with that, the livelihoods of artisanal fishermen. Um, recently, the president of Liberia gave Shepherd the highest military honour for our work tackling illegal fishing. Um, on climate, you know, we've been doing a lot of work in the Great Australian Bight to the point that we've now been part of the Great Australian Fire Alliance and various surfing communities and councils. We're now all big oil, BP, Chevron, Equinor has pulled out a drawing for all in the bite. Our plastic cleanup teams. Um, so we've got 20 groups around Australia that raise funds, awareness and do cleanups and education talk. They're all volunteers. They're out on the streets. They're cleaning up the beaches. And so they've removed over 3 million bits of marine debris and plastics from our coasts uh, around Australia in, in the last few years but also doing some really large-scale remote cleanups as well. Um, a couple that I think is, you know, really I'm really proud of is our work um, up in northeast Arnhem Land with the Dimmaru Indigenous Rangers, where we've been up there working with First Australians and cleaning up sacred sites, a um, place called Jewel Pan Beach, where it's um, critical sea turtle nesting habitat. And in, on our cleanups up there, which with our volunteers up there, we're moving about uh, around a tonne a day of plastics and ghost nets uh, from up in that region. So, And a lot of the data that we collect at our cleanups is then used um, to be able to go to government and say, look, this is what we're finding in our beaches. This is not just Asia. This is Australia's trash around our, around our areas. Up north, it's definitely more coming from Asia. But then that helps with government to hopefully change some legislation so we can turn off the plastic tap from production. Uh, we do a lot of work with sharks as well in Australia. Um, one, to just showcase just how insane the nets and drum lines are, um, which are really just a false sense of security off of New South Wales and Queensland that have trapped and killed ten to, tens of thousands of marine life over the years, whales and dolphins and sharks. And so um, we do a lot of work there in terms of you know, raising the, I guess, the importance of sharks um, in our oceans, the state that they're in, the important role that they play to the health of the oceans and ultimately to to us, but also that these aren't, you know, menacing monsters out there. They're Often it's a case of just wrong place at the wrong time. We're not on the menu, just sometimes we're in the way. So there's a lot more that can be done through non-lethal shark mitigation. So, and um, yeah, we have, a small staff team just coordinating an army of volunteers and resources around the world globally. So yeah, it's um we definitely punch above our weight. <laughs>
0: How would you describe your relationship with with governments around the world? Because it's not just off, off Africa. I mean there's the there's the Chinese fishing fleet and I use the term fleet, you know, off, off the coasts of South America and so on. How would you describe that relationship?
1: I, it really is mixed across different governments. Um, and I think a lot of it is perception on Sea Shepherd, you know, the people's knowledge of of the old days of the black ships and you know, you might be wearing a balaclava down in the Southern Ocean, it's not because we're, you know, people like to tarnish us as terrorists, but it's it's cold down there, so you have got to stay warm. But you know, when you know, we went down to stop the six Patagon Antarctic toothfish poachers in the Southern Ocean, and effectively, in two years, we were able to, you know, shut down the entire, you know, finding them a port, reporting their position to governments and to Interpol. Um, one of the vessels, the Thunder, we chased for. 11,000 nautical miles and 110 day sea chase until the captain of the Vest Thunder sunk his own ship. You know, we reported their position to Interpol and Interpol came out and we handed over all the evidence to Interpol. Uh, and in the documentary we have Interpol speaking highly of us. Um, but we also know that if we're going to tackle illegal fishing we and be effective, we need to work with governments. So it's really important to have those those relationships. And it's not just in Africa. For instance, in 2018, uh, we went down to, back to the Great Australian Bight, and we went out with um, eight members of the South Australian Department of Environment and Water, effectively government scientists. And we were able to then facilitate marine and terrestrial surveys of the Investigator group Wilderness Protection Area, which is just, you know, Pearson Island, a place that's on par with the Galapagos, the welcoming party is Australian, um, Australian sea lions, and then you've got southern blue devils and all these incredible marine life beneath the waves so when you take that uh, that information to even the most conservative audiences or the most conservative governments and say we're tackling illegal fishing we're restoring the livelihoods of artisanal fishermen we're providing information to interpol we're working with indigenous rangers cleaning up the beaches we're working with government scientists in australia and we want to continue that work because we know that by working together we can be far more effective to the point that this year in March, we're able to finally get our DGI charity status after working on it since 2007, uh, which means that when people donate to us, they can actually claim it on their tax. And that, that'll definitely help us continue to you know do more and more work out there for the oceans. Why did it take so long? Because in the early days of going down to Antarctica and going against the Japanese whaling fleet, which is heavily funded and backed by the government of Japan, Japan being a very rich trading partner has lent on the Australian government for us to not have charity status. Now, you may say that's a bit far-stretched, but we know through WikiLeaks that Japan actually lent on Sea Shepherd Conservation Society in the USA to try and get the charity status taken away from there. We also know that when one of our ships, the Adigil, was rammed and sunk by the Japanese security vessel, the Shonomara Number no. 2, within... Um, basically um, there was an investigation that took about three months and the results of the investigation by AMSA, the Australian Maritime Safety Authority, found that um, effectively the the results were inconclusive because Japan refused to cooperate with Australia's investigation. But we found out through WikiLeaks that as soon as that incident occurred, the um, Australian government contacted the US embassy and said, look, don't worry, regardless of any investigation into this incident, Japan will come away clean on this. So it's always been very political um, and diplomatic of its trading partner as to why we have had to fight so hard to get our charity set up, you know, with, with governments, with, with rangers, um, uh, working and giving information um, to Interpol, plus also the fact that Japan no longer goes down to Antarctica. So I think it's just a matter of, you know, it took a long time, but we finally got there.
0: <laughs> so what would, in a nutshell, what would be the main message that Sea Shepherd would want to send? To those who are considering donating and, and taking up that, uh, that status.
1: I mean, in terms of donation, we want people to feel that this is an organization, hand on my heart, we're lean, we're effective, we're producing tangible results, tackling the key threats to our oceans. And our oceans are humanity's primary life support. Most of the air that we breathe comes from our oceans. We're very passionate about that, you know, a donor's dollar is precious. And so we want to put it towards effective outcomes. But we also want the donors and supporters to feel that they're not separate from the crew on the front line. Now, just like in Melbourne, we take ownership in our football team's wins on the weekend. We want supporters out there to feel empowered by the victories, that they're part of the victories, that the ships, the Steve Irwin, the Bob Barker, the Sam Simon, they're your ships. You're part of this movement. You're part of these victories. These are your victories.
0: So let's look forward, notwithstanding that I'm sure many of your expeditions and, and operations are, you know, uh, confidential because, you know, you, you're you in a war, aren't you, um, with those who are working against um, sustainability. What is next? What expedition is planned for Sea Shepherd Australia?
1: Well, you know, now with our DGR charity status, we're hopeful that we'll be able to raise a bit more money to be able to help the work globally. And when we say the work the global campaigns are the ones that require a coordination of global funds and resources globally to make happen. Um, have multiple countries represented on our ships, so no matter where the poachers run, we can chase them to other countries' waters and and arrest these guys. And we'd like to see that work expand. So, if possible, to look at you know other countries, um, be that in the in the South Pacific, um, other countries that also have that that need to an assistance in patrolling their waters. So, you know, a number of years ago, we went to Timor-Leste and we took the ocean warrior vessel. And we believed that there was a number of Chinese vessels there that were taking sharks. And effectively we got rocked up there and we found that there was 18 Chinese vessels there. Now they had a license there to be taking fish um, but not sharks, and they were just targeting sharks. They were The nets were coming up full of coral. They were destroying the coral. And we went ashore and met the Timor-Leste National Police and said, look, this is what's going on off your coast. Do you want to come out and potentially inspect these vessels? And they said, yeah, let's do it. So came on board, uh, took them out. They inspected the vessels, and these vessels, their cargo was full of sharks, uh, lots of species, endangered listed spe- species on board, and these 18 ships from one of our ships and working with the local authorities doing more you know remote cleanups continuing to work with the dimmer indigenous ranges um, trying to see governments um really step up their pledge to stop plastic production in australia and then you know see the the shark nets and drum lines out of out of off the coast of uh of eastern coast of australia
0: talk to us about um you know that partnership approach you use so you've you've been doing you've you've partnered with a whole range of you know both government and and community and um and uh and and other organizations in australia to do a a range of things and then you're partnering with your uh your uh, sea shepherd you know brothers and sisters internationally to have greater impact um what you know what are you? What sort of partners are you looking for? What can they do to help you? Um, uh, you know, in your mission.
1: I think one of the big things is is the more intel and information that we can get on where illegal fishing is occurring. That's definitely a key one that we could do with some more some more help with to to really see where there's blatant illegality happening um, in coasts, but also. Um, you know, a, a number of these potential new government partnerships. Um, often, it's it's a case of introductions and 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 getting to know the right people to be able to um, have these discussions as well. Because, um, as you know, so everything in life comes down to relationships. You can fire off an email and and it just sits there and you get no answer. But um, you know, a reference or you know a an introduction is always is always very helpful. I think funding has always been an issue for Sea Shepherd. Um, over the years so whether there be some some heavy hitter funders or foundations um, out there or someone may know a foundation that says hey you guys should come in and present give a half an hour presentation and these guys will you know underwrite you for the next so many years Um, because we're not we're not this big organization that has it's we're as I mentioned we're very lean which means our global operating budget is really quite small. Globally, we operate on about $15 million a year globally. And you consider the work we do and the ships that we have, and you compare that to other, some of the other bigger NGOs um, around the world, they're operating on a five to $800 million a year operating budget. So we're very small. And um, for us to be able to have more funding really means that we can focus on, um, you know, really the work that needs to be done. Which is the campaigning. So, absolutely.
0: Let's get back to individuals because uh, you're now positioned. uh, What can individuals do to um, support Sea Shepherd?
1: Well, there's a lot, really. Um, And people can do everything from coming along and getting involved with, you know, being part of a local chapter, uh, raising funds and awareness, you know, doing school talks. Every bit helps, you know, it all helps. People can join our monthly giving program. Um, that helps plan and budget for our for our campaigns uh, that's another that constant revenues coming in people can go to a beach even just on their own and just pick up marine debris and plastics with the with the notion that every bit of plastic removed is a is a potential life saved there's a lot people can do in their choices that they make every day be that you know minimizing their single use plastic you know get a keep cup you know use a, a metal straw like there's a lot that people can do to minimise their plastics, and even just what we put on our plate, you know, we know the impacts of a high meat diet has on the planet, um, from water, from impacts on 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 carbon, on climate. Uh, not to mention, you know, you watch documentaries like What the Health, and you just see, you know, it's far better for us as well to to go on a, a plant-based diet. Um, yeah, there's so much that everyone can do, from you know, helping us directly but also helping the planet by, by their choices that they make and their actions that they do.
0: Now, it's uh, hard to avoid the subject of COVID-19. We're, we're doing this remotely, um, uh, and, and, and Sustainable September for us is a, is a virtual event, which is um, exciting because it's new. Um, and it's something that we'll want to continue doing. But it's a little sad because I, I really enjoy Sustainable September um, and the little food festival and all the events that we're doing uh, normally and the activation that comes with that as the community come out and show their interest. Um, how has COVID-19 impacted Sea Shepherd um, in, in right now? But, but what impact do you think it'll have on the challenges you'll face in, in the coming months and years?
1: You know, we have to pull all of our ships to port and stop their campaigning for quite a while. We had a lot of crew that couldn't get home. They were on the ships and whatnot. So it's been very difficult to get crew to the ships, uh, get crew home from the ships. You know, we had to stop all of our cleanups as well. But slowly, slowly, depending on where it is in the world, some areas are returning to normal. For instance, our ships have been back on, back on patrol in Africa. They've been making arrests. Um, recently, there was a, a ves- two vessels uh, arrested that had a ton of rays on board. Um, we're doing cleanups in WA. In terms of a funding perspective, we've found that the government um, assistance packages in Australia have been really a lifeline for us. Um, so that's definitely been a big help for us. We're also about to have a really big get together and conference, which we hadn't had one for a few years. Um, that all got stopped because of COVID which would have been nice because it is really good to connect with all of our coordinators and volunteers and, and our staff to really go through our strategy and ideas for the the coming years. I mean, personally, I've, I've enjoyed not getting on a, on a plane since March. So that's that's been nice. You know, I'm from Melbourne. So I've got, um, you know, my sister and all my cousins in Melbourne. And it is a weird feeling not knowing when you're going to see them again. And You know, wondering if they're all going to be okay. My parents are in Queensland, so I'm sure everyone's feeling very similar. And we were also looking forward to a big sustainable September event at the uh, Fed Square, and we had, you know, the Veronicas lined up to um, come and perform. I've also been, you know, having a few chats lately, and we talk about the the impacts of the bushfires, and then we've had COVID, and if you look at everything. We look at COVID and we've seen a lot of articles out there saying that it's actually been a destruction of, of the natural world. though That becomes worse. And plus, you know, the more and more we destroy the natural world, the more we're going to see these sorts of viruses coming out um, is what a lot of articles have been been coming out. So you look at that and you look at the bushfires, which have just been absolutely massive. Now pushing aside the environmental side of that, And just looking at the economic side of it, by putting nature first and looking after addressing climate, it's good economic sense, you know. So I don't see how governments continue to put the economy in front of nature. But it all comes back to the the very root cause, which is we've got to look after the planet.
0: We've talked about sustainable September. um, And... um... We've also, once or twice, you've mentioned uh, the documentary Watson. I'd like to talk about that because we're really proud to be collaborating with Sea Shepherd uh, to do an online screening uh, of that documentary. What can you tell us about it?
1: I I, I think back when when I was young, there wasn't many people doing conservation. And it was, you know, you watched a bit of, you know, Attenborough, but You know, you you just didn't know about the people that were out there and it wasn't mainstream. And I take my hat off to people like Paul Watson, to people like Diane Fossey and and Jane Goodall who, when it wasn't popular or when it wasn't, you know, all about, you know, uh, how many likes you get on social media, they were out there on the front line defending the natural world. You know, and there's one bit where Paul stands his ground in front of a, a ceiling ship that's coming and breaking through the ice. That, that was Paul. He just loved the natural world, but he understood its importance and he was willing to put his life on the line to protect it in very much the, the notion that there is no future for humanity if we do not look after the natural world. So that sort of logic where Paul talks about, you know, everyone gets all up in arms when over the years, you know, we've asked our crew to put their lives on the line to protect nature, to protect the oceans. And yet... That seems a bit weird to some people, but then, how many times do we have people, young men and women, going off to wars, uh, which could be over real estate or oil, and we're going after to protect the biodiversity of oceans, so another critical part of our of our life support system survives. And to you know, I guess to Paul and to us, that's a far more noble thing to to risk your life for. So that's really about what is telling the story of Paul and how just this visionary man and, and how he's really lived and breathed it his whole life.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to it. It's 7pm uh, on September 14th. And as a kicker, there's a, a Q&A, a live Q&A with Paul on the 14th. So I'll certainly be there. And uh, and I also understand that um, and if they register, then they'll also get something that you've also mentioned as important, which is um, recipes, which... Uh, devoid of meat, so that's uh, that. Every every little thing helps. I think. Look, uh, Jeff, we're really delighted to be in partnership uh, with you and and with Sea Shepherd for Sustainable September. We're looking forward to a a fantastic uh, virtual festival, but even more so doing it again next year because I'm fairly confident that we'll be able to do it justice. And if you can just get the Veronica's to come along as well, that'd be great. I'm particularly grateful for the time you've made. Ringing in from Fremantle, where your liberties are somewhat uh, more generous than ours here in Melbourne, but uh, we are on the road uh, to get back to something like a COVID normal. Thank you, Jeff, And on behalf of Federation Square, we wish you and C Shepherd every success in this really critical mission and whatever we can do uh, to help you in that, we're here.
1: Well, thanks Xavier and thanks to you and all the team at fed square and we look forward to a really big fed square this one will online will be great i know people are, are hanging out for it to uh to connect to learn more as you mentioned all of our ships um, they're all plant-based ships and so if I give everyone a tip for make sure you ask paul to explain his uh spaceship earth analogy because that really brings it all together and to Unites us all in, in why we've got to work to go together and protect our our planet, um, you know, our one home. So thank you so much, Xavier, and I think it's it's a great partnership to be to be working with you and and the team at Federation Square. I know in speaking with Jess and, and all the others, you you get it. You you just understand the importance of the natural world, and you're doing everything you can to fill the void to, to, to um, connect people and to keep those good stories and messages out there. So, you know, it's, it's really important, the role that uh, FedSquare is doing here. So, so thank you.
0: New episodes of Anything But Square are released every Wednesday, and we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast and sign up to our newsletter at fedsquare.com. Take care, and we'll see you next Wednesday.